0: All right, wonderful. Wow, what a great time of worship in the songs, worship with the reading of the Word of God. Are you happy to be here tonight? Grab your devices, your Bibles, whatever it is that you want to read the Scriptures off of. I'm excited to jump into the Word of God tonight. We've got some friends, so let me welcome all of you tonight here at King of Kings Community Jerusalem. We're so happy to have you. And for those of you watching online, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, other platforms around the world, welcome to Jerusalem. We have some other friends here from Texas, United States tonight, so welcome, guys. We bless you. We had some friends uh, come and join us from Bulgaria as well, so praise the Lord for that. I've never been to Bulgaria. Closest I've ever been is to Timisoara, Romania, which is right next door. Praise the Lord. You know what? First, let me just understand the space that I'm stepping into tonight, if I could, for just a moment. Um, Welcome back, Pastor Ilya and Janet. Good to see you guys. Pastor Tarsicio as well. Good to see you guys. Um, How many of us had a good week? Just raise your hand. I need to see it. The Lord blessed you this week. Look at all these good news testimonies. Praise the Lord. How, How about those of you that had a tough week? Who's willing to admit you had a tough week? It's okay. It's family. You don't got to be too spiritual. A couple of us. Praise the Lord. I say that because I had both. You ever had both in the same week? I had this, this, is, this was me this week, right? Can I just be real with you this week? I had two huge issues weighing on my mind. It was hard to sleep. And that's tough for me because I'm a pretty good sleeper. So it's got to be an issue for me to be like thinking about it when I'm trying to go to sleep. There There's two issues. And just prayed into them, waited on them. One of them has not resolved yet. Still praying through it, still waiting for it, still waiting for the breakthrough. Anybody waiting for a breakthrough? You want to be with me tonight? You're waiting for a breakthrough? And then the other one broke through. Amen? Praise God. Anybody had a breakthrough this week? Yeah. See, this is where we're going to live. I don't know if that's good news or bad news to somebody. That's where you live. You live in the testimony of what God just did and the need for the testimony that you need God to do right now. You're gonna always live in the middle of those two things, right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer over this word tonight. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. Yeshua, we thank you that you are the word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you more and more into this place tonight. Touch us as we dive in and open our hearts and our minds. We pray that it all connects and that it connects with application, we pray tonight. In Yeshua's name, amen, amen. I'm gonna ask you to turn to two places tonight as we continue our series from the book of Isaiah called Highlights from Isaiah. Perhaps you can figure out where to turn from that title. Isaiah, if you didn't catch on to that. Turn to Isaiah. The second place you're gonna to turn tonight is the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11 to be specific. So stay in Isaiah chapter nine and Romans Chapter 11, as we get started tonight. Praise the Lord. We got some people watching from some wonderful countries. I know there are just to name a few Slovakia and Finland, and we, uh, you know, uh, even Fiji, I heard tonight is watching. Welcome, Fiji. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're in the third week of our series. In week number one, we discuss the courtroom of God that God had called the defendant forward. The defendant was Judah and Jerusalem. They had violated the covenants of God. They were called into the courtroom. Then God began to call the witnesses. Heaven and earth, the creation. They've witnessed Israel's rebellion, and so God calls them into the courtroom, and he says, you're gonna be my witnesses to what Israel did. In week number two, We talked about Yeshua being the judge and that he rises from his chair and he begins to point the finger at where the problems originate in Israel. And he first points his finger at the leaders. And we looked carefully last week at what he said to the leaders. And then he turned his finger to anyone else that put their trust in something other than him. That's where the finger went second. Leaders first. And any of us who have put our trust in something other than Yeshua. Okay, now remember that these are just highlights from Isaiah. We will not be able to cover the full book. We're not going to go chapter and verse all the way through. That would take us a little bit too long. So I do encourage you to read the book in its fullness to get the full context of the prophecy. You're in Isaiah chapter 9, so let me catch you up from last week, which was chapter 6 to chapter 9. So what's going on in chapter 7? Well, northern Israel, remember, Israel split into two parts after a while. Northern Israel made an alliance with Aram, and they agreed to fight together against Judah. That means southern Israel. So northern Israel made a friend, and they were going to fight against southern Israel. And the prophecy to the king of Judah is what's happening in chapter 7. By the time we get to chapter 8, the Lord says to King Ahaz through Isaiah, don't be afraid of northern Israel and Aram. Do not be afraid of them. That plan that they have against you won't work. It's not going to work, so relax. But you have a bigger problem. So he, he settled the smaller problem. He says, but unfortunately, you have a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is this. If you persist in your sin, I've stopped Israel and Aram from coming, but I'm not going to stop Assyria. If you don't stop what you're doing, the Assyrian empire is coming to take over your land, and they're going to kick you out and turn you into exiles. Assyria is coming. This happens in chapter eight. Now, what we know is this. God certainly does not want his people to be attacked. That's not the will of God. That's not what he wants. That's not our destiny. And yet, if we persist in sin, God loves us enough to get our attention. And when he's trying to get our attention, sometimes not so pleasant things happen to us that we might pay attention. And that's what we have here in the the prophecy of Isaiah talking about the Assyrian army coming, because God will use the invading armies like a tool. It's It's an alarm clock tool. Wake up, Israel. Wake up, is what he's trying to say to them. I don't want Assyria to do this, but because I love you and I need you to wake up so you can fulfill your destiny in life, I'm going to allow them to come in within measure, and they're going to wake you up. And that's where we pick it up. Now, you might say, through all of this, how does that play into the scriptures? And and how does does God's will work itself out in light of this, where we know that God wants Israel to return to him, and he wants Israel to return to him because Israel's salvation will help unlock world revival, so tonight's message is entitled if you're going to the archives the road to revival. Okay? From the book of Isaiah. Let me remind you where this whole thing ends up. Romans chapter 11, you had your finger there. Romans 11:11. 11, 11. Again I ask, did they and when we're using they in this context we're talking about the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Did Israel stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all, he says. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their, Israel's, rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? You see, what God is saying is, I want as many children in my family as I can get. So I want world revival. But the world will not move toward revival until Israel moves to revival first, So, I need to focus on Israel. So, he walks over to Israel and says, Israel, are you ready? And he realizes Israel's not even paying attention. And he says, Hey, Israel, wake up. I'm going to send some prophets. And they won't listen. I'm going to send more prophets. And they won't listen. Well, you know, northern Israel and Iran, they're coming to get you, they're still not listening what if I did a miracle and I blocked your enemies? Would you listen then? And they still wouldn't listen. He says, I I gotta sound the alarm. I've gotta wake you up. I've got millions and millions of people that need to come to salvation and they can't until you wake up. And he says, for that reason, I have to let Assyria come so that millions can be saved. Do you understand how the plan of God works? If you don't see it in context, you say, what a mean God. But when you see it in the right context, you say, look how much God will move heaven and earth to save his children. And that's the role of Israel. That's the plan. You see, when Israel's heart is turned to the Lord, the world changes. You say, I'm not convinced that if Israel turns their heart to the Lord, the world changes. Well, that's exactly what happened with the Jewish apostles. When Israel turned their heart to the Lord, the world changed because of the witness that they brought to the rest of the world. So now we're in Isaiah. We're in chapter nine. This is our main text tonight. We have the prophets are not being listened to, the armies are not being listened to, the prophesied judgments are not being listened to. And God is sounding the alarm and He says, How does the process of revival begin? Will accomplish this. So notice that here in this description of Yeshua, we have the fullness of the Godhead. But did you notice that the fullness of the Godhead was appointed by the Lord Almighty? Try to wrap your head around that one. It was God who said, I, God, am going to come and do these things like God. All of the three elements that we speak of in God's unity are present here in these verses to help describe Yeshua. You say, Well, I thought Yeshua was just the Son. Well, according to this verse, it says he will be called the Counselor. You said, Oh, well, I thought that sounded more like the Holy Spirit. Right? Because we might have a problem if we try to over-categorize God. God is the great counselor when you need him to be. Then it says he's the everlasting father. Oh, no, wait, wait. I thought he was the son. No, he's the father. Well, where does the son part come in? The next one. He's the prince. Can't have a prince if you don't have a father. Right? The prince is the son. He's... He's the spirit. He's the father. He's the son. It's all wrapped up right there. One being. It doesn't say, by the will of God, I'm sending three. It says, by the will of God, I'm sending one. And in the one, all of this is included. It doesn't stop there, though. With this this danger to overclassify, you might miss the next piece. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom. You say, well, I heard counselor and I heard father and I heard son as the prince. Somehow you might have missed king. Don't miss king in there. It's right there. He's gonna reign on David's throne. Then he's gonna establish and uphold with justice and righteousness, talking about government. So he's gonna be a counselor. He's gonna be father. He's gonna be the son. He's gonna be the king and he's gonna be the leader of the government. All of it is wrapped up in this one verse. Verse. As soon as you try to put God in a box, he'll prove to you he can't fit. You say, well, I thought it was only father, son, and spirit. I I thought that was the triune nature of God. But you you might want to take another pass at that. You might say to yourself, but there's more descriptions than three. This idea of the multi-unity of God. Why? Because God can do something we can't do. God can be something we can't be. And because he can do and be that, it's hard for us to describe it. Right? You want to think about God being the great creator. It's one thing on earth because all we do is look at his creation and then copy it. But we've never come up with an idea that he didn't come up with first. Try to be the one that came up with the idea First. That's hard to do, right? You talk about, come up with a new color. You can't do it because you have a limited brain. You don't have what God has. There was a a time, did you understand? There was a time there was no such color as blue. Now you can't even think of it like... It's, it's in the spectrum, it's in the prism, there's, it's in the rainbow, there's no way to get around blue, well, that's because God created blue, but there was a moment when he was sitting on his throne, and he thought, I'm going to create this thing called blue, and he just created it, because he has something in him that we don't have, and it shows up in that multi-unity of God, now listen, I'm not saying anything negative about the triune nature of God. Some of you like to use the word Trinity. That's fine. I don't use the word Trinity because I can't find it in the Bible. That doesn't mean it's a bad word. I just don't find it. What I find is a multi-unity of God in the Bible, especially in a verse like this. There's actually five parts to this verse. Now, these descriptions, they're the roles of Yeshua, and they reflect his various expressions as the one God that we sing in the Shema, right? Right? Hear, o Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. One of the biggest pitfalls, one of the, one of the biggest accusations that we as Messianic believers receive from the Jewish community outside that we are trying to witness Yeshua to, one of the biggest criticisms of the gospel is they believe we are pagan idol worshipers because we speak of three gods. And their bible, our bible says one god. And this is a big thing you need to correct in your language. It's not three. It's one god. In all of the various expressions and, and attributes and any other way that he wants to express himself in that moment. And you might say but this is so hard for my brain. And it's because there's two factors involved. Number 1, he has various attributes various attributes. Now the good news is you have various attributes also so you can understand this part. You know when I'm sitting at a Passover Seder meal or a holiday meal, I'm expressing various attributes of myself. It's not a perfect example but it's pretty close. When I'm at a holiday dinner, my children are there and I am their father. My wife is there, I am her husband. My parents are there and I am their son all at the same time. And I relate to each one of them a little bit differently in the way I speak and my authority and things like that, because I'm expressing different attributes all at one time through one being. So we understand that part because we have that part. But the next part is what we don't have. And that is the attribute of omnipresence. Learn that word omnipresence. It means God can be Anywhere he wants to be at any time, in any form, and in multiple forms. He has no limit on how he can express himself. And since we don't have that attribute, it's very hard to wrap our mind around how is God one God, but he gets to be triune or multi all at the same time. I would just give you this encouragement. Relax. There is no other example in creation that is perfect like him. And that should bring good news to your heart. Because guess what? If somebody else could do it, you might doubt who God was. The fact that he's the only one that can do it and you can't quite understand it is good news tonight because you serve the only one true God. He's the only one that has omnipresence. Satan doesn't have omnipresence. That's why he sends demons out to go do his work, as opposed to God who does his own work. Comes in your heart, and your heart, your heart, and he does that all with his own presence. Let me give you the first key phrase of the night. Without the power of omnipresence, it is difficult for us to understand how God can be only one entity and yet have the ability to be in several places at the same time and in different forms all at the same time. You say, maybe there should be some examples of that. There are plenty of examples of that. First, starting in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and then darkness covered the waters of the deep and the spirit of God hovered over the waters and then God said, so you have a spirit and you have the voice. You have a multi-unified God in that moment showing different attributes showing his omnipresence, doing different things. One is a spirit over the water, and one is a voice from the heavenlies speaking creation. That's Yeshua. Is it? well, I thought that was the Father. Don't get confused, because you don't have to be confused. Yeshua said in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him, and without him there was nothing made that was made. And in him is life, and the life is the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. That whole chapter is talking about the physicality of Yeshua, and Yeshua was there at creation. Yeshua was the word. Yeshua was the one speaking. Why am I saying that? Because now you can understand that the Son in that definition, can also be the voice of the Father, while he can be the Spirit on earth. That's that creation. You don't even have to go very far in your Bible. Right? It's like, if you start at the beginning, you say, when am I going to learn about this multifaceted God? And you step right into Genesis 1, you're like, oh, there it is. The very first story, you get it. Then in, in Matthew chapter 3, Yeshua is physically on earth, and he's there about to be immersed in water. And as he's going through the water, we have the clouds open, and a voice from heaven speaks, this is my son. And then a dove of the Holy Spirit descends on him. So you have the physical Yeshua, the voice from heaven, and the dove. You have the multi-unity again, all right there, different forms, different spaces doing different things, showing different attributes. And that's not, it doesn't stop there. We read it in the parashah tonight. Thank you, Irene. Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. What do we have again? The voice from heaven, Yeshua's there. And then it says, and they were covered in the cloud. That cloud is another reference to the Holy Spirit. The presence of God shows up in many forms in the course of your Bible. It's a voice at creation. It's a spirit. It's a cloud. It's a pillar. It's fire. It's a dove. It's the angel of the Lord. He's the son of man. And many more. You will find this multifaceted element of God. But don't forget, he's also the king and the leader of the government. Back to Isaiah 9:7, he will reign on King David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. All of these multifaceted elements of Yeshua. So let's do a quick recap. So far in Isaiah, God is called into the heavenly courtroom, Judah and Jerusalem who are the defendants. He has laid out the covenant-breaking actions that they've done. He's reviewed what their sinfulness has caused He has called heaven, earth, and creation as witnesses against them. He has invited Israel to repent and be blessed and has shown them what the future will look like for them if they will return to him. He has identified some of the sources of their sin, addressing both leaders and others who have trusted in idols. God is telling Israel through Isaiah that invading armies will unite together and they will attack And God will use these attacks as tools to wake Israel up to repentance. The question now is this. Will Israel listen or will they continue to be stubborn? Will they listen or will they continue to be stubborn and hold on to their own ways? As a parent, I can tell you how many times I've gone through this process. Even happened last night, my youngest one. I gave her a 15 minute warning. You have to do that with kids, right? Give you a warning. In 15 minutes, it's time to go to bed. Okay, daddy. Okay. In 10 minutes, it's time to go to bed. Okay, daddy. In five minutes, it's time to go to bed and daddy's gonna come back and say, go use the bathroom, brush your teeth, put your jammies on. Okay, daddy. Okay. I'm here, it's time to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed, I don't want to do it, I don't want, but I warned you, like I gave you all the profits, like I told you (laughs) all the way through, but I don't want to, dad, can I stay up, can I stay up 10 more minutes, what is 10 more minutes going to do for you, you're still going to have to go to bed, and I could see it on her face, oh, she did not want to do it, she wanted to go this way. And I just got to watch as a father. Will she be stubborn or will she choose righteousness? And you can just see it in God's face in Isaiah. It's like he leaned over Israel. Are you gonna gonna be stubborn? Come on, guys, don't be stubborn. Did you hear my voice change right there? That was my dad to the little kid's voice. Don't be stubborn. Come on, I'm being sweet. And she she fought it. It was was churning. You could see it in her heart. I don't want to do it. Oh, I don't want to do it. So then I said, well, I'm going to ask you, please obey. And I'm going to say it with my nice voice. Because the next time I say it, it's not going to be my nice voice. Okay, daddy. (laughs) Got up and went. That's all God's saying. Guys, I'm trying to say it with my nice voice, but you won't listen, so... I'm going to have to say it with my Assyrian voice. (laughs) Isaiah 9, verse 10, we continue. Will they listen? It says, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have fallen, but we will replace them with cedars. So Israel decides they're not going to listen. The little brick. Did you see the escalation? Oh, the brick fell. What I'm going to replace it with is not a brick. I'm going to replace it with a big dressed stone just to show you, God. The little fig tree, you ever seen a fig tree? It's not that big. Little fig tree fell. I'm not going to replace a fig tree with another fig tree. I'm going to replace it with one of the tallest trees, the cedars of Lebanon. God, if you say it's not going to work, I'm going to show you it's going to work. Rebellion comes out of Israel's heart. And here we see the escalation and the stubbornness. They're going to hold on to the rebellion. They're going to hold on to the idolatry. And I would ask all of us as New Covenant believers, are we guilty of doing this? Is there been anything in our life where God has clearly put his finger on and he said, this is not good for you. You need to get rid of this. And not only did we say, no, I'm not getting rid of it, I'm gonna double down on it. I'm gonna show you, God, what a dangerous place to be. Don't ever do that. Because if the stubbornness persists in your life, you're gonna see what the result of it is because Israel sees it. Still in chapter nine of Isaiah, 14 and 15. So the Lord will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. The elders and dignitaries are the head and the prophets who teach lies are the tail. See, there's no question about who he's talking about. He says, if you guys persist, I'm gonna deal with the elders, I'm gonna deal with the government officials and I'm gonna deal with the false prophets. God knows exactly who he's going after in these moments, and all of this is connected to governmental leadership. The government of Israel could have led them into fresh waters, but it didn't. It led them into sin and oppression. How do you know it was related to government officials? Because as you move a few verses forward, it becomes even more clear. Chapter 10 of Isaiah, one and two, woe to those who make unjust laws. You see, he's talking about government officials. And to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. And then you have to add the false prophets to it. So the collective hardships, the consequences of our sin, and the outside pressures, it doesn't convince Israel fully. But the good news is it convinced a few of them. Did you catch that? It didn't convince all of Israel, but it did convince a few of them. And that's good news. As we move into chapter 10 of Isaiah, listen to what it says. Verse 20. In that day, he's talking about the day when all the pressures hit. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And a remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people be like the sand of the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed overwhelmingly and righteous. So on the one hand, it's good news. Some of them finally listened. For the first time in a long time, a few of those mentioned here as Israel, let's talk to to it about the, the Jewish people, a few of them finally listened. Now you say, well, how does a few of them listening play into this idea from Romans that all Israel will be saved? because those don't match. A remnant is not all Israel. So we have a discrepancy in in, in the scriptural timeline somehow. And what we're going to do is we're going to solve it here in a moment. Okay? Our second key phrase of the night, increased prayer and repentance begins the process of revival. Did you see in that verse when it talked about a remnant, it said three times that that remnant returned. And if you know anything about how we repent in the Bible, we talk about turning from our sin, not walking in the direction we used to walk, but walking in a new direction. That's a returning to the Lord. That's talking about repentance and prayer right there. It's capturing the idea that revival doesn't start with great preaching, Hopefully, you heard me say that. It starts with prayer and repentance. That's, remember, tonight we're talking about the road, over, road to revival. If revival's over there, we start over here with prayer and repentance. A prayer movement has to begin first. And as prayer, strengthens inside the body of Messiah, more people, let's call them a remnant, begin to turn their heart to the Lord in repentance. And once more people turn their heart to the Lord in repentance, you have those remnant people start to experience miracles. And when that remnant starts to experience miracles, they go tell their friends about it. And you can see the steps walking us toward revival. It's not the fullness for sure, but it is the beginning of the process Eventually, we will end up with all Israel being saved. And according to Romans, once that happens, it unlocks world revival. The Bible calls it life from the dead from the rest of the world. This is God's heart. Now, we're a small remnant right now. We even consider ourselves here tonight part of that small remnant. Those of you that are Israeli citizens or you're Jewish here in Israel, you are part of that remnant that Isaiah is prophesying about. And speaking of prophets, it can be difficult sometimes to understand and describe properly the prophecy that you're seeing. Because sometimes the prophecy comes in a duality. It's partially for the day of Isaiah, and it's partially for the days ahead of us. And all of it's happening in the same prophecy. And that can be difficult for prophets. He's describing his own day, but he's also describing the end of the age. He described when a temple in Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Remember that? There will be a lot of tragedy on earth, and then the the Messiah will return. But is he talking about the, the coming of Messiah when Yeshua was born as a baby, or is he talking about the coming of Messiah when he returns as a king? Well, the Scripture goes on to explain to us that he's coming to rule and reign which then tells us he's actually talking about the end of the age, right? It's helping us to understand where we are on the timeline. It's a big challenge for prophets, but here we get help. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 now, Isaiah 11:1. 1. He starts to prophesy about Messiah himself a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit the spirit of the lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord and he will be and he will delight in the fear of the lord he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears but with righteousness he will judge the needy with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth he didn't do that in his first coming as the crucified Messiah. All of those actions will happen in the return of the Messiah. And you can see what Isaiah is having to deal with here. You see all kind of spirits flowing out of Yeshua, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, counsel, might. He's the king, governmental ruler, but he's also the judge. All of these multi-unity pieces of the one God are showing up again And as we walk down that road of revival, we start with prayer and then repentance and then remnant number one and then miracles and then remnant number one goes to tell other people and we might just end up with a remnant number two. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. In that day, remember the day, the end of the age, in that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time To reclaim the surviving remnants of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west together. They will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. None of that happened in Yeshua's earlier coming. Therefore, the timeline that's being described is the return of the Messiah at the end of our age. So all of that revival, that remnant number one, is right now. That remnant number two is about to happen. And once remnant number one and remnant number two begin to work together, you're gonna see all Israel saved. Now, when we say all of Israel, please understand, we are not intending to say every soul. We're saying as a collective unit, the majority as a collective unit. And the reason that's important to understand from a prophetic perspective is the same reason when God said, Israel has rejected me. He's not saying every soul, he's saying the majority the leaders, the government, the the people as a a whole. Because God preserved for himself 7,000 faithful in a cave, so clearly we're not talking about every soul. But we are talking about the majority. We're talking about the masses of Israel being saved. And you see the mirrored dynamic here. Something that jumped out to me was the mirrored dynamic because remember when Israel after Assyria comes in and then later Babylon comes in and then northern Israel and southern Israel are exiled, when they are returned back to Israel, I'm talking about, go back to Ezra, Nehemiah, right? Esther, those books. When they are returned from exile, there is more than one return. Go read it. He brings one group first and then he brings another group. And it's mirrored That for us, so that we will identify with Isaiah and we will understand that if he did it in the past in that pattern, he can follow that same pattern of prophecy. If coming back from exile was group one, then group two, at the end of the age, it's gonna be remnant one and remnant two, following that same pattern. God is so good when he gives us word pictures that we can latch onto, the dual waves of believing Jewish remnants for us in the present day, so we're looking at the road to revival, increasing prayer, repentance. Remnant one, remnant two. Now we find ourselves in Romans. We're going to close in the book of Romans tonight. So if you're not there already, go ahead and turn there. Romans 11. We're going to close from these sections. Romans 11:3. Lord. They, again, this is unfaithful Israel, have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. This is what Elijah is saying. And what was God's answer to him? God's answer to Elijah. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace." That remnant idea is a thread that we find all the way through Scripture. If you're a Jewish believer tonight, you are a remnant from your people. But if you're a Gentile believer tonight, you are also a remnant from your people. The world is not saved. If we were to look at percentages, the Gentile believers in the house tonight are a very small remnant from all of humanity, right? just like the Jewish believers are a very small remnant from Israel. We are present remnant. Here at King of Kings, we believe we are in the Bible right now. This is what we are doing. This is why we exist. We are trying to do this thing together with you, to take remnant number one and to encourage remnant number two so that we can move toward revival, all Israel being saved, which unlocks world revival at the end of the age so our Messiah can come back. And be with us. We continue, but maybe Israel fell too far. Maybe Israel has been rejected. Maybe Israel, God had a different plan. Well, Romans 11:11 answers it. Again, I ask, did Israel stumble so far to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So it's not just remnant number one that's going to tell the rest of the people. It's remnant number one plus the Gentile believers. Jewish believers and Gentile believers working together produce revival in the nation of Israel. That's why we consider you and us part of this story. This is what we're doing right now. The room is full of Jewish believers and Gentile believers from the nations. And we're doing this verse right now. That means you get to be part of the end of the age. So let's read our last section tonight in the worship team's coming. Romans eleven twenty-three. 23. If Israel does not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you, the Gentiles, were cut out of the olive tree that is wild by nature, And contrary to nature, you were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. How much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. Notice, all Israel does not get saved until the Gentile believers work together with the remnant of the Jewish believers. When we are a team together, then in those days, all Israel will be saved. And when all Israel is saved, we unlock world revival. You say, why does that... Why does it unlock world revival? Because it's been the calling and the destiny of the Jewish people from when God first called them. Their job was always to be the priests for the world. And being the priest for the world, you have to first get your heart right with your God. Then you get to be the priest for the world in which you were trained to be. That's why the order has to be the order. And God is patient. We're inviting you tonight, King of Kings friends here in Jerusalem, all around Israel at our different locations, even those of you online. We're inviting you. Answer this call with us. Do this with us. Don't go back to your home country and forget about Israel. If you have a heart for world revival, it starts here with us not because we're better than anyone, not because we're more special, it's just because that's what God said to do, that's the steps in the process. When God shows us a destructive pattern of sin, do not rebuild the sin and make it worse. Engage with his work of discipling the remnant that exists now. Engage in witnessing Yeshua's salvation to the next remnant that's prophesied about. Engage in us uh, with us in these prayer opportunities that we are explaining. Be aware of the signs of the times as you read through the Bible. Know where you're at in history. Because we are all excited for the Lord's return and for him to rule as king and governmental ruler and as judge from His temple. Can you imagine? That's where this road ends up, where Yeshua is back with us as king, governmental ruler, and judge 15 minutes down the road at the temple. That's where we're trying to get to. Help us do it. We're so glad you're here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for calling us, for choosing us, even as Nikki brought us the prophetic moment today. We were born and chosen for this season, even as Queen Esther was chosen for her season. We are chosen for this season. That you looked out into our future and you said, where do I need this generation on the timeline? And you chose right now. Right now is when you need us. And we commit our life to you. We commit our life to your work, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to teach the truth, and to provoke Israel to jealousy. All of that is included in the commission of the new covenant. And we commit that to you today. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen, amen. Listen, let's take that for a moment of meditation as we continue to worship. And Pastor Ray will close us in just a moment.